morning. So the Bible reading is from Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9, and we'll be reading through to verse 30. So Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not, do not bear false witness, honour your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Well, it's first time, I guess, you've said good morning to me today. Good morning. <laughs> it's maybe multiple times you've said good morning to someone on stage. We like to be friendly. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Jane, for answering. It's always good having Jane up the front here. Um, I just wanted to mention something just before we get into looking at God's Word. Just mention something that's... Um, at play today. <laughs> so, um, late, late last night, as happens occasionally, someone texted our AV team chat to say, I'm sick and I can't turn up. And thankfully, uh, Bill Rusin was able to step in at the last minute. But we've got some other people away. And as a result, uh, I'm playing tag team today with Emma on camera. So Emma was singing earlier 
and I was doing the cameras out in the live stream room and now I'm here and she's out doing the cameras and uh, so this is basically a way of saying we'd love to have more people on our AV team. Um, it's not actually very hard so don't be intimidated and we'd give you full training there's actually four different roles, two related to sound, one related to the slides that you see on screen, and one related to the cameras that go to our live stream. But we'll give you full training, and so if you're interested in being part of our AV team, I'd, I'd love to chat with you after the service today. Uh, it'd be great to get you involved. We won't throw you in the deep end, give you training, we'll sit beside you as you're um, you know, doing it in practice and then when you first go live. So, and it's good fun. I actually really enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, please speak to me afterwards. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at God's word together. Lord, we thank you that you do speak to us. That we have recorded for us the words of Jesus that we have the gospel accounts of his life and that we can learn from them. And we thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak to us through your word today. And so we ask right now that you will open our hearts and minds to hear your Holy Spirit as you speak to us through your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as Jonathan said, we're starting a new series in the book of Luke. Uh, well, it's really a continuation of an existing series. So the first part of the book of Luke we did as the way of salvation. Uh, the second part, the way of discipleship. And the third part, the way of the king. And uh, just as you're thinking about those sorts of um, categories Luke is really keen for us to be aware and to be sure of how to be saved, of how we can be made right with God. And uh, we, we looked at the way of salvation as Jesus himself shows and talks about the way, the, the way of the kingdom of God. And that was in back in February 2021, so that's almost two years ago now that we started in Luke. Uh, and we went through until August 2021 in that first uh, series. Then the way of discipleship from early October, uh, sorry, the end of October 2021 into December. And then in evening services last year. So you can go back to some of these. Um, I encourage you, you know, go back to the 7th of February 2021 on, on YouTube and you can watch and, and catch the background context of the book of Luke, uh, which was given in Jonathan's message way back then. And one of the things that he said in the first message of the way of discipleship is that the way of discipleship is, is really this. It's the way of salvation is discipleship and today we're we're starting this series called the way of the king and as you think about it the the way of salvation is the way of discipleship and this is the way of our king jesus so they all fit together uh, but the focus particularly in the coming weeks 
is turning more towards Jesus himself. So we've had uh, him and his teaching earlier in the book of Luke and, and the section that we're sort of coming off the back of here in Luke 18 is, is at the end of a whole lot of teaching of Jesus. But now the focus starts to be on Jesus and his work as he walks towards the cross and as he dies and then is raised to new life. And so we're focusing now more on the person of Jesus rather than his teaching. However, today's message sort of fits on the back of the way of discipleship. So there's some teaching in here, but we've entitled it Audience with the King. And the last part of the, the chapter, um, or the, sorry, the, the reading that Mel ra- read for us, um, the last part of that reading is about this ruler, a rich ruler who comes to Jesus and he has, as it were, an audience with the king. Now we should understand that he probably was there for the preceding two sections. So if you want to, you know, split the, the, um, this passage up as an outline, You've got verses 9 to 14, so that's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then you've got verses 15 to 17, which is about the little children coming to Jesus. And then you've got uh, verses 18 to 30, which is this interaction between the rich ruler and Jesus. And then off the back of that, um, Jesus talking with his disciples about who can be saved so that's the sort of the breakup of the passage. You've got those three sections there. And in the first section, we have this, this parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who come to pray. And, and we should understand that the, the man in the third section, the rich ruler, was probably there when Jesus told this parable because there's no clues in the text to say that Jesus moved to another place or that he went to another's town or anything like that and I think it's fair to uh, assume that the guy who we're talking about in the third one of these little sections was there to hear the first and the second interactions okay so The big idea for today's message is God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. And the big question, and this is the question that the the people ask after Jesus' interaction with the rich ruler, and it's it's there um, in verse... 26 those who heard it said then who can be saved and what Jesus is doing in in these passages today Jesus is taking everything that the Jewish people sort of understood about status uh, before God about blessing by God and he's turning things on their head which is why at this point after the interaction with the rich ruler people go well who can be saved And so that's the question for us today. Who can be saved? So, 
God gives grace to the humble. I'm going to focus the message today on, on these, these three points, the humility of confession, the humility of dependence, and the humility of radical discipleship. I was having trouble getting the right words for that third point, but that'll do. Um, the humility of confession. Here we've got a, a picture of two men. It's a parable, so it's a story Jesus tells to make a point. And two men who go up to the temple to pray. Now, it was common in those days for people to pray standing. Uh, so don't make anything of the fact that, that the Pharisee stands. But he stood by himself as if to, you know, separate himself from people that were not as worthy as he was. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It's very specific, isn't he? How do you feel if you came to church one Sunday morning and, and, you know, Pastor Chris stood up and said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this person or that person. Or That's a bit intimidating. What? And not only that, in Aussie culture, of course, we would say, well, man, he's full of himself, isn't he? And he was. Yesterday morning, I was doing my quiet time, and I was reading the passage that, that talks about the, the parable of the, the speck in the eye and, and Jesus says you know when you see your brother and you see a log in his eye and no I've got that the whole way wrong, wrong way around when you, you see a speck in his eye how can you call that out when you've got a, a, a whopping great beam in your own eye there's a Christian um, poet guy called Cameron Simmons who who tried to alliterate parts of the Bible um, in his poetry. And he talks about uh, the, the massive mahogany uh, molar in, in your eye. God spoke to me on that. As pastors, we have a particularly unusual job um, in the sense that we come to the Scriptures in order to try and present a message for the benefit of the congregation. Or sometimes we come to pastoral interactions with people where we're, we're talking with them pastorally about um, difficulties and problems they're having in their lives and, and we're trying to bring scripture to bear to assist them. But it's very easy for us to get into the, the mode as pastors where we're reading scripture for what we can find for someone else and I was reading that passage yesterday morning and I was thinking pastorally about an interaction um, and and about some people that I've been caring for and God said to me you're reading this as if it's a message for them but you need to be reading it as if it's a message for you and the Pharisee as he stands there, is more concerned about comparing himself to other people and saying, oh, look, how good am I? Instead of coming before God and saying, God, what are you saying to me? 
and standing far off from him is the tax collector who, who won't even lift his head and his eyes to heaven as he prays but with head bowed beats his breast because he's so overwhelmed by his own sinfulness and he cries out God have mercy on me be merciful to me a sinner we're told that when the two men went away it was the tax collector who was justified and we think of that word um, differently so probably a better way of saying that is that it was the tax collector who was declared righteous God looked at the two of them as they left their prayers and said of the penitent sinner you are declared righteous I wonder as you come to worship how you come are you feeling comfortable in who you are that you've done the right thing you did your quiet time this morning you hold a position of power or authority or a position of prominence in the church or do you come to worship with your heart grieved at your own sin recognizing your need for our Father God I'm going to indulge uh, myself a little today and, and quote a couple of times from some late 80s early 90s Christian music um, Brian Duncan in a song called we all need sort of puts this to song and it's a song that's meant a lot to me over the years and he says and I stand in a corner now in my house of rest and I bow my head and I beat my breast and say God please forgive me for this sinner's heart though you show me your mercy it's the same old story keeping us apart and we all feel lost sometimes do you feel lost sometimes we all feel hurt inside do you resonate with that we all cry and we all need the redeeming love of Jesus man I know I need it and pray that you'll recognize your need too. the humility of confession God gives grace to the humble when we come to him if we're seeking his grace we must acknowledge our own need of him our own sinfulness
Now, as Jesus is speaking, some parents, they were bringing, we're told, even infants to him. So even infants is probably a way of saying babies. And parents are bringing babies and, and little children, infants, to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and bless them. And if you're, if you're a child today, I want you to know this passage tells us how much Jesus loves you as children. The adults thought they were all busy with important stuff and they wanted to, to t- tell the families, don't bring the children to Jesus. And Jesus, he, he tells the adults off. <laughs> he says, no, 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 bring the children. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus welcomes children. Boys and girls, Jesus welcomes you. You are welcome in this church. We don't mind if you make some noise. Your parents probably feel uncomfortable about that. But sometimes that's what children do. But you are welcome here. Jesus welcomes you. And there's something really special and precious about children that Jesus commends here. He says, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children, little babies, they trust their parents. They're completely dependent on their parents. They can't do anything for themselves. They must depend on mum or dad to look after them, to provide them with food, to provide them with clean clothes, to provide them with shelter. They're completely dependent on their parents. And Jesus says this is the attitude that we must come to God with. We must come to God in utter dependence on him for our salvation. The humility of dependence. And there's some wonderful meaning here in this passage and some comfort for those who have had a child die. J.C. Ryle, a a pastor and theologian and author from the 1800s, he wrote, These were children of the youngest and tenderest age. It is the same word used in Luke 1 and 2, that's talking about Jesus, as at his birth and he says it's impossible to interpret the word to mean young people who have come to the years of discretion in other words this is not talking about children who are old enough to know right and wrong and to make their choice about Jesus for themselves this is talking about the youngest children and Ryle says, the meaning here is clear for all to see. They are not meant to teach us, that's these words, 
that children are sinless and innocent, as is abundantly clear from other parts of Scripture, and he cites John 3, verse 6. He said, The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, quoting from the passage here. He says, That teaches all saints how they are to live. The simple faith of young children and dependence on others gives believers, that gives us as adults, an excellent example to follow. But going on, he says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, teaches that the salvation of all who die in infancy may confidently be expected. Though sin has increased, grace has increased much more. Romans 5 verse 20. And so for anyone who's lost a baby, a child, it might be recently, it might be 40 years ago. The fact that Jesus welcomes these children, the fact that he tells us that the kingdom of God is received by those who are utterly dependent like these babies are utterly dependent is a strong message to us that those who die before the age of being able to make their own decisions are welcomed in the kingdom of God. But for us as adults and children that can understand what I'm saying what the message of that little section for us is that we must be humble enough to say that we are dependent on God for our salvation. We need him to save us. There's nothing that we can do in our own strength to save ourselves. And so we move to the third section of the passage the humility of radical discipleship. Now here we have a, a young man. Uh, we know he's a young man from the other parts of Scripture that tell the same story. I think from Matthew's account, he calls him a young man. And the young man comes and he comes really... Um, it, it's not maybe quite a sincere question... Um, because he's, he's trying to butter Jesus up a bit. He's trying to flatter him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That word good, as Jesus tells him, that's, that's a word reserved for God. Why are you calling me good, Jesus says. Now, Jesus doesn't say that he's not good. He's, he's not repudiating the man's question but he's saying why are you calling me good what why are you saying I'm good because it was a form of flattery and there was an expectation that Jesus in his response to the man uh, befitting his status and stature as a as a ruler amongst the Jews so he, he must have been probably a ruler of the synagogue so someone who had some religious authority and it, the custom of the day would have been in him saying good teacher to Jesus, that Jesus would have come back to him and, and given him some sort of flattery in his response. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, why are you calling me good, 
don't you know that only God is good? And in, in that very moment, Jesus is saying to him, I want you to reflect on what you've said. Is there anyone who is good but God? You as a person are asking, how can I inherit eternal life as if it's something that you can do to earn it? But you've already lost it because you are not good. And if you reflected on your use of the word good that only applies to God, you would recognize that you are not good, that you are not deserving of inheriting the eternal life because of what you've done. And to point that out, Jesus goes and asks him some questions about the commandments. And he says to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Now you might wonder why Jesus notes those ones. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 5, which groups those commandments. But the thing that we see here as the interaction goes on is that the man has something in his life which is more important to him than God because Jesus perceives and knows that the man holds his possessions, his money, his wealth as being more important than his relationship with God. And when Jesus challenges him and says, sell all that you have, and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me, the man becomes very sad because he was extremely rich. Jesus didn't say to him, you know the commandments. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. But that was the thing that caused the man to trip up. Now in their culture, this was a young man who had status, who had power. He was perceived to have the blessing of God because people who had riches, that was perceived as a blessing from God. You, you look through the book of Proverbs and, and you read there's a, the, a, a lot of understanding of natural sort of justice, if you like, uh, was that God blessed people who followed him. And so if you were, were rich, if you were prosperous, that was seen as being a sign that God was blessing you. So here was a, a young man who was a ruler. He had power, authority, and riches. And, and everyone would have looked at him and said, wow, he's a great example of how to follow God. He kept all of these commandments since his youth. And yeah, that's, not, that's not him being disingenuous. That's not him sort of saying, well, yeah, I've kept all these. But actually, he's you know, done lots of things wrong there. In that Pharisaic model, there were lots of people who were doing the right thing. But as Jesus says in other places of Scripture, their hearts are far from me. They were doing the right things, 
but his heart was not given over to God. His heart was in his possessions and his money, in his wealth, in his riches, in his power, in his status. Jesus' call to the rich ruler to sell all that you own and follow me is precisely what Peter and the other disciples have done. And the people around, when Jesus has this interaction with the rich ruler, they say, well, who can be saved? If the person that we looked up to, if the person that we thought was, was really you know, a, a model citizen of how to follow God, if he can't be saved, well then how can any of the rest of us be saved? And Jesus is turning the, the whole structure on its head. He wants us to understand the humility of radical discipleship. Peter pipes up and says, look, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus is affirming of their commitment to follow him. They didn't get it perfect, Remember, just a few moments earlier, they're trying to say no to the children. No, don't bring the children to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you've got to receive my kingdom as a little child. There is a, a radical nature to Christian discipleship. But it's a radical nature which is expressed through humility not through pride. God gives grace to the humble. Charlie Peacock, a Christian singer and songwriter, wrote in his song, Wouldn't It Be Strange? Wouldn't it be strange if power made you weak? And victory came to those who turned the other cheek. Wouldn't it be strange to welcome your defeat? Wouldn't it be strange? Wouldn't it be strange to find out in the end the first will be the last and all the losers win? Wouldn't it be strange? The gospel message that is upside down to the way the world thinks. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We've been talking about a young man who came and had an audience with the king. But I'd like to ask you right now to imagine that you are having an audience with our King Jesus. Can you stand before Jesus and pray like the Pharisee, Lord, I'm not like these other people. 
God will oppose you. But if you come before him humble, with the humility of confession, with the humility of dependence, and the humility of radical discipleship, a discipleship of the heart, rather than a discipleship of works, God will give grace. A final 80s music quote. Charlie Peacock again in a song, Cheer Up Church, sings, It's just like God to make a hero from a sinner. It's just like God to choose the loser, not the winner. It's just like God to tell a story through the week, to let the gospel speak through the life of a man who will be the first to say, Cheer up, church. You're worse off than you think. Cheer up, church. You're standing at the brink. Don't despair. Do not fear. Grace is near. God gives grace to the humble. If you are in God's presence, do you come like the Pharisee? Or the tax collector? Do you bow your head and beat your breast and cry, God, have mercy on a sinner like me? Grace is given to those who come in humility. Let's, let's pray. Lord, may we never get wrapped up in our own pride. May we acknowledge our sinfulness and come to you in total dependence on you for our salvation. And once having come, May we be committed to a radical discipleship where our hearts are totally committed to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.